and welcome to the Hear It podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Roberts, and I'll be speaking with guests about their work, research and ideas on better engaging young people. I really hope you like it. So this week on the Hear It podcast, we're joined by Dr. Thomas Curran, Assistant Professor in the Department of Psychological and Behavioural Sciences at the London School of Economics. His primary area of research is the personality characteristic of perfectionism, and some of his most notable work has looked at students across the US, Canada and the UK to better understand the cultural influences on this trait. Tom, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Tell us a little bit more about your research in perfectionism. So I do a lot of work in personality psychology and one of the things that really fascinates me is perfectionism. Perfectionism is sort of like a personality characteristic, I suppose. And it's kind of a, what we would call kind of a socially prescribed trait. So it comes a lot from the social environment. It's very much a cultural characteristic that reflects a lot of society's ideals in the sense that they higher levels of expectation, a lot of pressure and and kind of requirement to be perfect. And so people respond in kind with the sort of perfectionistic um, mindset whereby they feel like they need to be perfect. And so uh, a lot of the work that I do tries to explore that, explore why we're becoming more perfectionistic as a, as a society, um, where it comes from and, and what perfectionism contributes to in terms of our mental. And I watched your TED talk about our obsession with perfectionism. I guess our use of social media heightens our ability to compare ourselves en masse and curate this kind of perfect version of ourselves. Um, how screwed are our youth audiences because of this? <laughs> Well, that's just kind of advertising, isn't it? Social media is really just a a natural extension of marketing culture. This idea that you're not supposed to have the hamburger that's taken the photo in the the fast food restaurant, (laughs) you know, it's kind of an idealism, it's an ideal version. And it's the same with social media. It's an ideal version of real life. It's kind of like a hyper real uh, version of real life. And um and I don't think it's really any different from, from what we traditionally see with advertising, apart from the fact, of course, it's everywhere. So we take carry it with us and we see it all the time. And it's very difficult to kind of escape and breathe outside of that. Social media has a role in, in why young people are taking on more perfectionistic uh, tendencies. I, I, don't, I don't think there's really any doubt about that. The data is very clear in the, in the work that we've done around the advent of social media around 2008, we see a massive spike in perfectionistic tendencies. So I, I, we can't say cause and effect, but sometimes correlations are so strong that they're difficult to ignore. So I think social media has a role, but I would also I would say that there are other things going on. Um, it's not just social media. It's not just advertising culture. It's not just this kind of divorce of expectation and reality that young people are bombarded with there's also expectations in things like school and college and all the rest of it so um there's a broader culture of, of expectation and pressure and i think that's what young people are responding to. yeah you mentioned in your talk actually you're talking about like the obsession of sort of league tables and it kind of um it debases everything i guess from an educational perspective and i think the other thing you talked about which was interesting was around we almost like talk about perfectionism as if it's like a good thing so we go for a job interview and go, oh I'm a bit of a perfectionist as if that is like it's actually not an obsessive behavior but we kind of reward it in society don't we because you know this whole hustle culture yeah I don't think there's any any surprise about that I think again you know there's all sorts of reasons for this people feel very um 
very aware that there is, it's important that they're optimistic, it's important that they put their best self forward, and it's important that they don't show the world any deficiencies or chinks or flaws. And I think that is very unhelpful, particularly when it comes to our well-being and, and, and our authenticity, because often it's not the case that we feel great and we don't always feel positive, but that's fine. I mean, that's okay. It's, you know, if you're feeling a little bit down, that's absolutely not a problem, but it's only when we try and sort of conceal that that it does become a problem. So I think the pressure for young people to put their best face forward, be optimistic all the time, it is is problematic. And that and that ties in with, um, again, all sorts of cultural things in the environment that teach them. Yeah, and you talked a little bit around this projection around um, mental health, didn't you, for young people. What did that research sort of highlight to you? Uh, well, perfectionism is not necessarily very good for us um, in the sense that it, it pushes us above and beyond the threshold of what's healthy. Um, and that causes a lot of exhaustion. We, we, we see correlations perfectionism and burnout, for instance. But also more sort of pathological forms of mental health, particularly on the on the extreme end of the perfectionism spectrum, when people are working themselves exceptionally hard, when they feel like they're not perfect, when they feel like they're flawed or deficient, and and uh, and, and a sense of I guess hopelessness, depression, anxiety starts to creep in because. Uh, we never feel like we're enough, you know, we never feel like we're quite enough. And as a consequence, that can lead to some negative mental health outcomes. So perfectionism on, on the whole isn't isn't something that we should be celebrating. And you made a number of recommendations um, of things to, to address that. What, how do we go about solving that? It seems like such a big thing to suddenly dismantle. Um, well, I think awareness is big. Like just the knowledge that perfectionism is something that's going to hold you back is, is really important. I think... Knowing why we feel like the way we do is also equally important. Um, a lot of the literature on, on mental health is uh, very much a kind of self-help, life hacks, right? You see this a lot. I'm not sure that that's particularly helpful uh, without a thorough understanding of why you feel like the way you do in the first place, why you feel not enough in the first place. And, and understanding that there's the knowledge and then the ways in which we can address the problems are not mutually exclusive. Knowing that there's a societal issue around uh, perfection and, and, and a sense that we're bombarded with messages that we're not enough, you know, we're, we're not healthy enough. We're not attractive enough. We're not intelligent enough. Uh, you know, this is very much advertising culture, actually, because if we were contented, we wouldn't consume, and the economy relies on consumption. It relies on the supply of new goods and services that people purchase. If we were contented and we stopped purchasing, the whole economy comes down. So this is all ingrained in the way that our economy works. The economy is uncertainty because we need to feel uncertain to keep it moving. So if we can understand that, if we, if we know that the, the way we feel is something much bigger than us, that takes a lot of weight off the personal responsibility for the way that we feel. You know, like, uh, I feel like this because this is the way society is structured. Now, that's not to say that you don't also take responsibility in helping yourself and, and applying therapeutic techniques that will be useful for you. But it is to say that understanding this isn't your fault is really important as a way of kind of mitigating that self-criticism, number one, giving yourself uh, kindness, showing kindness to yourself and, and gratitude for where you are and what you do have, and then engaging in certain in certain activities, therapeutic activities, one of which I often talk about is um, not necessarily worrying too much about failure. Failure is something that a lot of people fear in this culture because um, it goes back to what we're saying about putting on that best face and performing up to a high standard. And when we fail relative to others, that's quite a big hit to our self-esteem. 
Uh, so seeing seeing uh, life as a kind of learning process, letting failure wash through us rather than trying to push through it. A lot of people say, oh, you know, you've got to turn your failure into more learning. Well, actually, sometimes there's a lot of solace to be found in failure. And you don't always have to turn it into success. You know, it's kind of very, that's again a very, you know, you must always use it to move forward. Sometimes failure is just what it means to be human. And just finding solace in that experience and letting it wash through us can be really important. You can actually find real comfort in, in actually in that moment being very, you know, that's what it means to be human. I uh, screwed up that presentation. I didn't give the best support in whatever, whatever, you know, like, but actually just finding solace in that failure rather than trying to force through it. I think it's really important. Um, and as I say, kindness is just so important. Kindness to yourself, kindness to others. Knowing these things aren't your fault, going easy on yourself and find those same rules to other people too. I think those are the two most important things I would say. But the first one is knowledge. Um, I also obviously stalked other bits of your research. So I was really interested in your work looking at the impact of perfectionism on athletes. I've worked in performance sport. And the notion of being world-class and high-performing is, of course, another space where being the best is idolised. And I guess you're in the best performance systems. So what's the key to sort of balancing that, you know, that high performance and perfectionism in that context? A lot of the performance psychologists I'd worked with previously, they would talk about, you know, focusing on the here and now and controlling the controllable but yeah just interested in your in your take on that if you really want to be controversial when you're talking about sport i mean most of the variance explained in sport performance is genetics so i think the first thing to say you know is yes psychology is important at the edges but if you don't have the genetic or makeup to, to be an elite athlete um, it's going to be really difficult for you no matter how well prepared you are uh, psychologically i would also say that once you are an elite athlete and you have the you know you have the I guess the DNA, the blueprint to, to make it, then there are those sort of marginal gains that Brailsford talked about and, and, and how, you know, you can eke out that additional 1% through uh, all sorts of different techniques, performance techniques, of which I think going back to what you were saying, being in the moment is crucial. Those kind of stress inoculation techniques, having being ready and prepared for things to go wrong, uh, is, is equally important too, and not putting too much pressure on yourself. Things are uncontrollable. Sport is uncontrollable, just like the, the world. So not putting pressure on yourself to have a be-all and end-all situation where it's all or nothing, you've got to succeed. And again, going back to what I said before, understanding that it's a learning process and that if you don't succeed this one time, it's okay. Just let that wash through you and move on. There are many aspects of consumerism as well in the way we use different channels to market and communicate to youth audiences, are there any practical things we should be considering how we can better tackle the issue of perfectionism within our marketing and comms? But the thing is, like, advertising extension of the economy, like, so when we live in a supply-side economy, so there is a constant need to, to supply new goods to the market and for people to purchase those goods because that's what turns the economy. Now, we've decided we want this economy. We, we, we turn the back on the demand side economy where, you know, things were made for necessity. So my mum gets confused, for instance, when she goes into Primark or whatever and there's a hundred different brands of leggings or whatever. When she used to go to Debenhams and there would be one, you know, this, this kind of whole new world where there's just so much choice. That's the economy we decided to, to live in. And so advertising has to reflect that. So it has to be aggressive. It has to sell things. It has to, it has to find new and innovative ways to market. Now, some of those ways, selling the utility of a product, championing issues like body positivity and authenticity, those are great. But some of them are not so great. And, and when, you, when you plug holes in people's lives deliberately through advertising, that's to say you tell somebody that their 
incomplete without your product, which is how lots of products are marketed. I mean, gym memberships, is, gym memberships are a classic. You know, it's kind of like, be positive, unlock your potential, here's a gym membership. You know, it's this kind of, yeah, yeah, oh, shit, like, uh, I, I need to go to the gym, otherwise I'm not going to be able to have those things, right? So, uh, you know, there's responsible ethical advertising and then there's less responsible, uh, but the less responsible one tends to be the more profitable one. And as a consequence, that's the one that proliferates. And my worry is on, on social media that we, you know, the influencer advertising, the kind of more covert forms of advertisement, where people see these influencers and, and see these perfect lives and lifestyles and, and want to emulate them. Obviously, that's not realistic, and, and I'm not sure that's, that's too healthy. But as I say, there are examples we can point to in the industry that are very, very good. And I, I think it'll probably take time, but I think young consumers are a little bit more discerning, maybe. And, um, and as a consequence, I think things will change. Are there any campaigns or brands or initiatives you think that do a particularly good job at engaging in people? That's a really good question. So I know that you're in the advertising and marketing space and um, one of my best friends is actually in this industry and I've, I've, I've talked to him a lot recently because I'm writing a book on um, this topic. And it's really fascinating to me how the industry works and, and how social media has become like a massive, massive uh, part of, uh, uh, I think, the biggest growing area of marketing. Right? And, and some of that's great, but some of that is less great. And I think the great stuff is, isn't done enough. But it's really about focusing on authenticity, about being yourself, uh, unlocking your potentialities. Those are the key messages, I think, that young people really need to to hear right now about body positivity. It would be really good if advertisers could go back to the utility of their products rather than kind of blowing up a lifestyle. A bit like how perfumes are advertised, you know, like Brad Pitt walking through an enchanted forest with a sledgehammer. Can a pair of trainers just be a pair of trainers? <laughs> exactly right. Like I think that would really help because by selling a lifestyle, what we're also teaching young people is that you are not enough, okay, without this product. There's a hole in your life and lifestyle that needs to be filled with this brand. I just think that's a quite that's a very damaging way to sell things. And it would, would be much better if we went back to the original purpose of advertisements to tell you that, you know, as you say, this brand of trainers can help you run faster. I know that there's sometimes advertising that way too, but there's also a lifestyle around the Nike brand, whatever it is. So that is that is more damaging than actually if we could sell. So that I guess really like my thinking on it on it is if we could go back to that, I think that that would do a lot of good. But you know, body body positivity, be real, the Dove campaigns, for instance, I think those are awesome. It's a really optimistic future for advertising in the sense that it can really shift perspectives of young people, how they view the world and how they consume, and whether that's sustainable consumption, um, whether that's authentic consumption, whether that's things that will bring value to their lives, like things that they'll use and, and uh, gain pleasure from, rather than things that they feel plug holes in, in their life. Do you have any podcasts, uh, books or email newsletter recommendations that listeners might enjoy? I mean, there are a few books I would recommend. I, I like Brené Brown's work. She's done some excellent work on vulnerability. And I think if people are suffering or feel like they are higher on the perfectionistic spectrum, I think you'll find a lot of solace in Brené Brown. I think you find a firm friend in Brené Brown. She, uh, she writes really, really accessibly and um, persuasively on, on vulnerability and the courage to be vulnerable and and um, how that can really help address some of the you know the self-criticism that comes with perfectionistic tendencies if you really want to go into the area i 
think Karen Horney's work is um, excellent. She's a therapist who was writing in the 50s, a little bit more involved, but her case reports are really fascinating. She talks a lot about what's called the tyranny of the should um, and how people are tyrannised by the way that they feel they should be rather than uh, and, and kind of toss aside the person that they truly are. And, of course, that creates a lot of conflict, a lot of tension, and a lot of people look to people like Freud and Rogers and Young when they talk about famous psychotherapists, but for my money, Horney is, is one of the best. Um, so her writing is really, really good. Susan Cain's Quiet is also an excellent book on introverts and the power of being introverted, and I think that helps in the culture of forcefulness or emphasises extroversion. So I think those, those are the three books that, um, if your listeners were interested to learn more about perfectionism, I, I would thoroughly recommend. for listening to the hear it podcast you can find links to everything we talked about in the show notes if you'd like to get in touch you can find us on twitter at the hear it podcast or threadandfable.com and if you've enjoyed the show today please drop us a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts